another production from Solid Gold Podcast. And welcome to it. Yes, it's uh, sapeople.com's brilliant podcast, even if I do say so myself. Uh, I'm Melanie Walker, once again flying without Jenny Baxter, who's actually on her way back from London through to Lille in a car as we speak right now. But I do have somebody who's joining me in the studio today to come and give me his expert opinion on all kinds of things. And I mean, this is a man who's after my own heart. We just have to warn you, might have heard in the past, if you're a regular listener of the podcast, that I don't do news. Okay, so my weekly catch up on all the news is generally from Jenny. All right, and I'm sitting here with somebody else who has exactly the way, same way of thinking about things that he doesn't do news either. So this could be quite interesting. Maybe we'll both learn something. Gershom Aitchison, thank you for joining us. The co-founder and headmaster of Education Incorporated, Edu Inc., as I like to call it. Thank you for coming in. Thanks, Melanie. It's great to be here. And I'm very pleased there's someone else who also is not obsessed with the news like I am. I, I have my news channel. It's called My Wife and uh, Gavin. So. <laughs> yeah, my, mine is Jenny. So um, obviously one of the, the news stories that I don't think anybody worldwide, unless you lived on a very remote island, would have missed was the passing of Her Royal Highness Queen Elizabeth II. And personally, I, I found myself quite melancholic in a way because it's been something that has been there my whole life and in fact you know i mean i'm i'm talking about even my parents you know they've they've also grown up with that that whole thing of the longest reigning monarch and we're not talking about um, was it louis the 14th who supposedly is the longest but then he had a, a regent who was in his place because he was too young to rule so in fact he didn't rule as long as queen elizabeth Okay, I'll take your word on that. Oh, come on, you you come from the education, <laughs> you should know about these things. Tech please, not history. What, okay, let's get this straight. What, what do you teach at your school? Give me a quick breakdown before we get into the other stuff. And I, I kind of like just throw questions at you that you're not going to know the answer to. <laughs> so officially, I teach life orientation to the grade 11 and 12s. And mm. it's just a way of me keeping my hand in the game and keeping the unruly teenagers under thumb in the last couple of years. But I have taught maths um, up until grade nine. I've taught Afrikaans at matric level, English at matric level, business studies at matric level. So I'm quite a you know, versatile teacher, mm. but as the head of a school, I, th- I think the focus is on leadership rather than teaching. Jax, who's my wife and the other co-founder, does the grade eight and nines um, life orientation for exactly the same reason. It allows us to connect with the kids and have some face time with them. Okay. And it's a, a boutique school. It's a boutique school. What that really means is it's very small and it's focused on relationships and it's focused on connections with people and the kids. We believe that significant learning happens when kids have a meaningful relationship with the people that are teaching them. Mm. And I think the biggest adjustment that most teachers and students have to make is that while there's a great level of respect for the teachers and the position that they have, the relationship is there, which means the gap is a little less formal than what it normally is in a larger school where you can't really afford to have that because of disciplinary reasons and things mm. like that. Okay, so obviously you teach history at your school. We do teach okay. history. So I'm quite interested to know how kids have re- reacted to the news of Lizzie. Okay, because my children who are 19, they're just out of school. Yeah. They were actually really, both of them turned around and went, I'm actually really sad. And they couldn't explain why. They, they just also, for them, I think it was a passing of an era and it was a really sad thing. Have you noticed that any kids are having that same thing when they talk about it? Have they talked about it? Is it actually even something that's relevant to South African school children anymore? I think it will have been raised. I think that the kids' feelings have been expressed in a few memes that I've seen. We've got um, WhatsApp groups for each class 
that Jackson I curate, and that's how the students are able to communicate. So we have they have access to us as the heads of the school and the teachers mm. um, all the time. And we were notified by a student that this had happened on one of the groups, and then a few memes followed. You know, a very meaningful one of the Queen and you know Paddington Bear leading oh. her away and things like that. So I think. The memes might express, I think that's how the youngsters do express some of the emotions and feelings these days, but I haven't really been in a position to sit and have a meaningful conversation with them about mm. it. It's just been through the groups. I think some people it has affected. I think some kids don't even know what it means. Yeah. It's so remote from them. My heart like a pint when I see those things <laughs> with the corgis and the yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not an ardent royalist. My grandmother was, yeah. totally. I mean, yeah. you know, she even had the same handbags and drank oh, specific wow. water because that's what the Queen drank. But I mean, it was never really part of my life because we were here. Sure. But um, I went to Queenstown. So, of course, I mean, I knew the whole story about Queenstown. And I just think from, you know, the the backlash from so many people about – Oh, you were a colonialist and you, we shouldn't have anything to, I mean, I just thought it was just very rude, number one. Okay. It doesn't matter. This is somebody who gave her life in service. Sure. Okay. And it, it just takes me back to one of the, the, the lovely stories with Zelda Lagrange saying how fond Mandela was of Queen Elizabeth. In fact, apart from the fact that they shared the sense of duty and calling, um, he'd nicknamed her, I've got to get this, Motlad Le Pula which means comes with rain, to come with rain, because when she came out here to visit in, in 1995 in South Africa, of course, she brought the rains with her that South Africa hadn't had for quite a long time. It's a lovely story. It is a lovely story. And I mean, if you think about also then uh, we talk about this one guy, Aga Orfanos, who I've known since I was at school. So we're, we're going quite a while back. He sends lots of beautiful pictures um, to SA people. And one of the pictures he took was of the Queen and Mandela together. And in front of it, he's, Mandela is pointing at the Queen, okay, in the picture. Um, but Aggie said Mandela wasn't actually telling her off, okay, but he was actually just warning her about a step. And uh, Mandela then went and signed the picture for Aggie when he jumped, bumped into him at a shopping mall. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, Aggie just really does the most amazing shots as well. Um, another South African, of course, do you know, <laughs> I'm going to ask him everything, do you know who Princess Charlene is? <laughs> She's married too. I have no idea. The Prince of Monaco. Okay. <laughs> she was a swimmer here in South Africa okay. who went and married... Prince Albert. You're just showing my ignorance here. Thanks. That's okay. No, look, I mean, if you don't follow, um, you know, celebrities and things like that, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, she has actually issued a statement saying she's been deeply saddened and she attended a service for the Queen at an Anglican church in Monaco with her hubby, Prince Albert. Um, and then last night, I know people have been following where the Queen is because she had to be taken up to, you know, from Balmoral to this place to that place. And, I think and she was lying in state in St. Giles at one point. Yes, yeah. And then, then last night, her final flight from Edinburgh to London became Flight Radar 24's most tracked flight. Oh, wow. I was even just talking about it. My, I feel this immense sadness. Yeah. And, I mean, I think that's what it's about is, I mean, you know, all these people going, Rrr. she actually was in power in the time when colonialism was being done away with. Dismantled, yeah. Yeah, and setting up the whole thing to do with the Commonwealth. Yeah, and there's a powerful allegiance with the Commonwealth. It certainly created a lot of opportunities for South Africa, I believe, post-apartheid mm. as well. Mm. You made a comment in the beginning, unless you've been on a small island somewhere, you wouldn't know about it. The reality is she probably owns the small island, or it's part of the, of the, the Commonwealth, or it is part of the empire that she slowly dismantled. I think it is sad that people take this as an opportunity, as they did when Mandela died, to throw stones and cast judgment and say things about people who are 
human beings after all. Yeah. I think what strikes me the most is regardless of who they were as a human being and what flaws they might have, is the incredible service they gave their countries and the people. And that service comes with sacrifice, self-sacrifice. It comes at a cost. And regardless of my personal opinion of her as a person, Hmm. the same as Mandela, I have immense respect for the service and the fact that she put her country and people first, sometimes through very difficult times. And I cannot fathom the conversations and the decisions they've had to make in their lifetime to be able to give that service and render it. You're quite right. And I even go a bit further thinking about even our late F.W. de Klerk, um, who was instrumental in being one of the people to dismantle apartheid, along with Nelson Mandela. Okay. And the vilification that comes up afterwards that eventually I was was taking people to task online as well. And that's why I left Twitter as well. Because I just said he was a grandfather to like a few grandchildren, two of whom I was very good friends with. Okay. And they are on social media how do you think that they're feeling that their grandfather's died and you're yeah. talking like that? You know, how would you feel if somebody said things like that about your granny? Yeah. Uh, but people are just revolting. I, anyway. think, I think one of the things that um, both the Queen and Mandela, in my opinion, exemplified was the concept of grace. Yes. And I think that people who feel that they have an opinion they'd like to share about them personally and, you know, whatever they might have against them, I think this is the appropriate time to show a bit of grace, tolerance. And I think that Mm. grace speaks a lot about social kindness, perhaps. And I think that's perhaps what needs to be displayed now. She has a family. They're going through mourning. Mm. And an extended family in a nation that is going through mourning. And perhaps people need to be a little bit more gracious right now. And if they don't know how to be graceful, they can at least be just a little bit lacquer. <laughs> Always lacquer. <laughs> yeah. But it is a, a thing that people, I think people have become a lot more miserable and, and so quick to judge and not think about what they're saying. And over the last two years, especially, you know, we're, we're all in that state of angst and yeah. like being stuck at home and yeah. um, not knowing what was going to go on. You know, if you get this thing, is it going to kill you, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. One thing I was very impressed with your school was like literally the day after they announced the lockdown, you guys took all of your students online. immediately and kept it going whereas so many schools in the country obviously couldn't yeah well I think that's the advantage of being small and I cannot take credit for that because Jack's the executive head and my wife and the co-founder was instrumental in that I remember two weeks before we're sitting in a in a board meeting talking about this in the plan and we were all rolling our eyes telling her that she was overreacting but her plan you know worked out and (laughs) at least she had the foresight to think that this was going to happen and it's left us in a position where we are able to offer a hybrid solution. I've got a grade 11 who lives in the UK. I've got a grade 9 who's in Durban. Um, and a few other students, you know, who have made use of this because the, f- the family's moved you know, into Africa for three months on a contract to work. And they're able to attend school digitally, presently, in class, um, and not miss out on any of that and not have to change and disrupt their lives, as it were. So that's one of the good things that have come out of it. And it's also helped us question how we, you know, engage in the learning process. So being now, a small school. Does one even need to go to school? Yeah, 100%. I, I suppose in, in, in some ways, though, you'd need to, and I know we'll talk about sport a little bit later, but yeah. from the point of view of your social interactions. It's not just that. You know, we found when we did this, and, and I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm repeating myself because I keep saying this since we've been, you know, since COVID, but there's three basic things that we found in our investigation with the kids and the families and the teachers when we were looking at designing a hybrid solution. The first is obviously the technology to do the work, mm. both at school and at, at, at home. 
And alongside that in parallel is your technology for communication because it doesn't matter if you can work, but if you can't communicate effectively, and that is being able to hear, participate, and see what's going on. And it's all of those elements need to be engaged. Mm. But the last one is a crucial one, and that is technological behaviors. Some people are not geared towards it. They they know that they need to be in a space separate from, you know, the place where they relax and socialize and things yeah. like that. So yeah. there are some people who are, and even in some cases, students who are very good at doing it online because they have the technological behaviors and disciplines in place that they don't get distracted and watch YouTube, et cetera. But there's some others who are going, no, I can't, I don't want to fight that battle. I'd rather do it at school. They enjoy that interaction with the, with the teachers. They enjoy the interaction with their peers. Hmm. Just walking between the campus, which is different and it's relaxing is a lot better for them than sitting at home. You know, the, the grade 11, when you went off to the UK, went through six weeks of training and getting used to this, being at home, coming in. And even our grade nine, who's in Durban, whenever he gets an opportunity, he'll pop onto campus and see his friends. And when they're down there, they will see him. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the social interaction. It's something about how we kind of feed off each other in a, in a, in an osmotic kind of way when it comes to knowledge and bouncing ideas off that sometimes gets lost online as well. Well, I think my kids, if they could have done it, would have stayed online and not yeah. gone back to school. Yeah. They really didn't enjoy actually being at school, mainly because it was an all-girls school. Oh. And you know what girls can be like. And my girls were, because they're such a tight little team, being yeah. identical twins, yeah. um, you know, it was it makes it quite difficult from that point of view. But um, they wouldn't have had the opportunity to be watching YouTube and all of that kind of stuff because they got me as a mother. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it all goes down to the parents, I think, ultimately. But I think it's provided a great opportunity for us as a generation coming through to have a preview of what their work is going to be like. Mm. You know, I've I've studied quite extensively and, I, and I've never set foot on a campus or university campus because, not because I don't want to, it started off because it, the opportunity wasn't there, but I'm very much somebody who's happy studying outside of the official, you know, building, et cetera, mm, mm. remotely and getting the job done and fully engaging in the process but not being present. There's some people who can't fathom studying um, without being present on the campus. And I think, you know, the conversations we're having with the kids is you're starting to understand something about yourself, be it studying or work, that a lot of people that we as adults are only now having to figure out about mm. ourselves. You know that I can do this at home, but now I need to be on campus or in present to be able to do that. But then from that point of view, I mean, it's going to be stand them in good stead. And I think, I mean, it would have been great for me when you spread your wings and you go overseas and you're yeah. an adult and then you're working and you might be working kind of freelance and all yeah. of those. So it really does actually help you getting into that because most kids come out of, sort of like, a, you know, public, I mean, what do you call them, government schools, cool. and they have no clue on how anything works. But anyway, we're going to be spreading our wings in a moment as well Good. because we're going to be flying over to Buenos Aires. For over 30 years, we've been uncovering high-level corruption, holding crooks accountable, and meeting a few inspiring and intriguing characters along the way. Now, join us as we take a step in a new direction with Carte Blanche, the podcast. Unique stories, unique perspectives. With new episodes uploaded throughout the week, available anytime, anywhere. That's Carte Blanche, the podcast. Find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts. Right, so if you are one of those listeners who is in Buenos Aires, if you followed the Boca over there, or if you actually live there, go and support them. Because, of course, they are 
going to be playing there this weekend. They're currently second in the Castle Lager Rugby Championship with New Zealand winning so far. Um, all four teams, New Zealand, South Africa, Argentina and Australia are so close. So it's very, very important. Go and like, scream for the Boca, yeah? Because our blood is green. Um, but the boys have an unchanged team with only three changes to the replacements. Um, Elrich Lu, 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 Lu. <laughs> Looking at things and thinking, no, that sounds wrong. Taking over from Duane Vermeulen on the bench. Faf de Klerk is returning as scrum half cover in place of Kurbis Reinach. And Andre Esterhazen is getting a run in place of Warwick Gallant. Okay, so we're going to have a look and see. Now, Jenny who is the person who runs, I'm just telling Goshen, for okay. those of you who listen, obviously you'll know who she is. So Jenny has been in England. She's been staying in Putney. Have, have you been to London? I have traveled many places in this world. I have not been to London. How have you not been to London? It's another city. You know, I'd rather go north to Scotland and find the distilleries and things like that, you know. But London's great. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'll get to see it one day. It's not, day. On, my, it's it's not on my bucket list, but it's I'm. It's quite surprising you know. that somebody, you know, South African hasn't been to London because no. it seems like most South Africans are going over to London anyway. I mean, most, so many of my friends are living there now, including Jenny was living there, but now she lives in the south of France. Okay, so which is it, lovely. When all our friends were going to London, Jackson and I went to Taiwan instead for four years. So okay, yeah, I've opposite been, direction. I think I would also rather go to Southeast Asia, quite frankly. But anyway, so Jenny's been staying in Putney, which is very close to the first place I lived um, in Fulham. Okay. Okay. It's just on the other side of the river. And in fact, at that stage, most of the people I knew in London were South African dentists. <laughs> and they all lived in this big house in Putney and they used to have the best parties. And she says she seriously heard more South African accents than English people in the streets and restaurants. Now, that area has always been very, very popular. It's um, with Wimbledon, Richmond, um, going down towards Ham, um, up to Earl's Court. That was, you know, the, the Aussies and the South Africans would always be in Earl's Court. And then you go down Fulham into Putney. Okay. okay? You don't know where I'm talking about. I have no idea, but I'm, anyway, I'm it's trying called, to follow. Yep. It's called the Biltong Belt. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. A lot of South Africans. Um, but a lot of South Africans in the area say Putney has exploded in the past year with essays. Um, there's an, in fact, there's going to be an essay expat get together this coming Thursday night. It's tomorrow <laughs> in That's Putney exciting. as well. Okay. <laughs> no, you, you don't understand. I lived in England. All my friends were South African. Oh, wow. And on all three occasions. And in fact, even when I went and lived in Dublin, I was friends with a South African there as well. Okay. It's one of those things. You end up like in But never, if you do go, I'm giving you a word of warning. Don't think that you can speak Afrikaans on the tube trains about people. And they won't understand. Because there were people who do understand. And they have oh, no, we that. <laughs> even in even in Taiwan, some newbies that arrived made that mistake. Yeah. Because there's always a South African somewhere. There's always a South African somewhere. However, what I will say is that I never spoke more Afrikaans than you know, I was I was stationed in the overseas. Northern Cape and yeah. I spoke a lot of Afrikaans. But when we were overseas we spoke a lot of Afrikaans. It was just yeah. nice having a little coded language that felt rather intimate and a, a lot like home. I think some of the words were abused and the accents were, you know, the pronunciation <laughs> were abused quite a lot, but uh, it was really, really nice having that. Yeah. I distinctly remember the the Chinese school owner that we were working for when, and I was the academic head at that point, and she'd come to me and get a little bit worried because when a lot of Afrikaans was being spoken in the in the staff room, she knew something was up and there was discord. <laughs> and she'd go, I'm hearing lots of Afrikaans, Gershom, is everything okay? I go, hmm, it will be. I'll, I'll let you know when we've got something to talk about. But yeah, it's nice. And South Africans should remember that uh, 
people they, do understand. Yeah, there, there are lots of South Africans all over the place. So yeah. Just watch, watch your, uh, how, how your back now. Yeah, exactly, okay. how you're back. Now, I just wanted to, you're saying Gershom there again, yes. your name, obviously. Okay, Gershom Aitchison. Now, this is not a normal kind of name. Please just give me a bit of a background for this because I'm looking at anything. Are you Scottish? Are you from Israel? I mean, what is going on with this name here? Yeah, I think like uh, most um, countries, there's been a lot of Scottish influence and Aitchison, you know, surely points to that. God, I married a Scottish girl and thank God I had an Aitchison surname. Otherwise, I, the marriage would never have been approved by her parents. Um, so, yes, um, my family came to South Africa in 1876. They landed in Durban as missionaries. Lord, you go back a while. Well, the Aitchison side of the family and they ended up moving down to Harding and setting up a mission station there. Being good missionaries, Gershom is a biblical name, and uh, apparently Moses' first son was called Gershom. It means stranger in a strange land. So they named their first son that it's kind of been in the middle names until my father thought it would be a good idea, you know, in the, the early 1970s to name their son Gershom in South Africa with a surname Aitchison. Okay, now a stranger in a strange land. I mean, you must be feeling like a stranger working with all these young people as well. Does it ever feel like that when you're working with young kids? I that it's a strange world that you're inhabiting, a strange land that they live in? I, certainly. Anybody who works with teenagers will know that it's a very, very strange place. It doesn't matter you know, how connected you are and how much you think you know. The teenage world is a very, very strange place. I can say that for certain. And skirting around the edges, I certainly don't want to dive into it because I say that to them quite honestly. I'm, I'm not interested in what's going on in your world because it's quite terrifying. Let's focus on how to draw you out of that into the real world on occasions yeah. and have some conversations, Make a fully please. formed human <laughs> being. Please. That would be a good way exactly. to go. <laughs> I'm trying to make you into an adult, okay? Yeah. Stop fighting against me with this one. I certainly, I, sometimes when I, I do get snippets of news that are fed to me by Jackson Gavin, I do feel like a stranger. I'm like, am, am I living in the same place that these people are? Because it really doesn't feel like that yeah it is certainly a strange it's strange time to be living at this point and i don't think just in south africa but uh worldwide worldwide yeah strange uh, times yeah i'm sure that you you don't have as much antipathy towards snowflakes as i do though so mm. that's okay you have to you have to oh you're back i don't <laughs> i remember there's a there's a chinese curse that says may you live in interesting times and we are and I, I certainly i think the last you know since we've come back from taiwan it's certainly been interesting times yeah and Absolutely. it hasn't stopped, yeah. Yeah. Well, talking about schoolboys and school kids, by the way, a South African schoolboy from Melkbostrand in Cape Town, Cameron Tripley, actually won the junior boys sprint race at the ICF Stand-Up Paddling World Championships in Poland. I mean, I'm sitting thinking standing, stand-up paddling. I know Jenny does it, and she's got – I mean, I had no idea. I mean, I knew that you could stand on something and paddle somewhere. Yeah. But apparently you have to blow them up. <laughs> Did you know that? I'm, I'm hoping with air, not, you know, yeah, no, 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 not, with, not with TNT, okay. no. Yes. No, you have to <laughs> okay. blow them up um, and then you go paddling. But in Poland, um, I'm sitting and thinking, that's quite a strange place to actually have a world championship for it. Anyway, for three years, um, Cameron has been South Africa's dominant SUP male paddler, but this is the first time proving himself on the world stage after injuries and funding challenges. And then, of course, um, and I did I did ask you before we started recording, yes. do you know who Wade von Niekirk is? No. <laughs> okay, he's a sprinter type person. He's a, an athlete. Thank you for that information. Okay. I will so, store that. <laughs> he's an athlete. Okay. Okay. But, I mean, he's like really famous, though. I mean, he's like a really great runner. Okay. I, I don't follow sports, but I do know him. Um, he won the men's 400 meter, the guy, let me get this right, Gala Dai Castelli 
in Bellinzona, Switzerland, on Monday night. Jeez, that's a bit of a tongue twister, huh? I'm so glad I'm not having to read that. <laughs> oh, this is something that I also want to ask you. I mean, when it comes to boutique schools, small schools, pi- private schools, I mean, obviously yeah. we've got the bigger schools like, you know, the St. John's and um, Bishops and places like that where they still have your usual school sports. And yeah. I mean, some schools like Jeppe, even the government schools like Jeppe, really, really good with their hockey teams their, and rugby, of course, being big across the board. How do you get kids involved in sport? In a smaller school like that, I mean, could you even field a rugby team, for instance? Uh, no, we could not. However, there's a lot more sports out there that are not just team-related. So mm. we, we attract a lot of students who um, perform very well in sports, but they're not team sports. And what attracts them particularly to Edu Inc. is that they don't have the compulsory hockey or netball or rugby that they have to attend. They can actually focus on their sports. And we have very, very good representation um, at provincial as well as national level for quite a lot of sports. So, Like what? Well, one of our first elite sports kids was Kelly Telfer, and she was South Africa's number one female golfer. Um, this year she decided she went, she got a full um, scholarship to go overseas and study in, in, in America. Um, she got a university degree and has gone pro this year. Oh, fantastic. So Edging, one of Edging's alumni is now a pro golfer. We've had kids diving um, on the, the provincial and national stage. Mm. Rock climbing on the provincial stage. Currently, I've got a grade seven and a grade eight boy who hold the national record, SA national record, and two golds for archery in the the division that they shoot. I've given a child honours for paintball, representing South Africa in Belgium for paintball. No, you serious? You. Paintball. Our honours board says paintball. Jacks cringes every time she sees it, but he did it. That's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Um, performing arts as well. We've got some really good dancers um, and singers in the past. I think one of my grade 10 girls at the moment came fourth in the world for tap dancing last year oh, and fantastic. is going, yeah. It's, I would have been good in a school like that because yeah. I was not, I'm not a team player in any way or form whatsoever. Yeah. I don't even want to go cycling because I see people riding in like their form of a peloton. Yeah. Horse, uh, not horse riding, bicycle riding. Yes, I don't yeah, do that. I hit yeah, that yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anything that you don't have to do with other people, I'm fine. So that would have been like right up my alley. Sure. Look, yeah. we've, we do have kids that participate in sports, but they'll go to Saints and participate with um the club sports yeah. that are going club on there sports, and we, yeah. we obviously encourage it it's good for the soul it's good for your body it's it's really good to do the sports and um, you need to keep on telling us what your, your kids are doing and, and yeah. like, so we can do stories on them as well you know because it's nice to have alternative sports when you when I was at school those were not yeah. available well then just punting that um, one of the, the latest things we've been diving into is polo City mm-hmm. Polo has made it available to people and accessible to people you pay the same kind of fees you would pay you know a, a normal riding school you don't have to own the horses, which is really great, and that's the expensive part of polo. So for three months, I've been playing polo and dragging any kids along who would want to come and do that. It's just such a good sport, and it's you know you don't have to be part of a team to do it. Um, they can put a team together based on your skills and things like that. Mm. So yeah, just another out of the box thing that's happening. I do like polo it's, oh, mainly because I like watching the men in their jodies. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there, shall we? Okay, well, staying with um, a bit of sport at the moment. Um, I know that we, we also found out that you're not much of a, a rugby fan, um, so you don't watch the rugby like I do. No. But the sevens this last weekend, oh my goodness me, that was I just heard it was a disaster. It was a yeah. disaster, which is really sad because I mean the, the Blitzbocker for me are just like yeah, we're always pumping superheroes. Yeah, they are superheroes. Anyway, Neil Powell has retired of as the 
the coach of the Springbok Sevens after nine years, and he's joining the Sharks. His golden reign as international Sevens coach came to a disappointing end in Cape Town during the Rugby World Cup Sevens last weekend, as people said, which is terrible. They finished seventh. I mean, I was like absolutely horrified. Oh, well. I don't know how that happened, what happened. Something happened. Maybe it's because Mercury is in retrograde. I think that's the only thing that we can blame it on. Of course, they did enjoy a golden era with Powell. They won three World Rugby Sevens Series titles, won 22 of 37 Cup finals that they played. Um, He remains also the only person in Rugby Sevens who has a World Series gold medal as player and coach amongst his accolades. That's amazing. And he says, apart from the the, the wins, the thing I will treasure the most will be the human beings I coached. That's lovely. Yeah. I love that. Anyway, Blitzbocker, come on, my guys. You've got to keep going. You know, you're the one thing that keeps my spirits up at the end of the day. Uh, and by the way, um, this is um, a personal message. Well, I mean, not that um, Jesse Clegg knows me, but anyway, so it's from Jenny and myself with uh, condolences on his loss. Um, of course, Jesse Clegg. Johnny Clegg's son, who's just the most incredible musician as well. I love his music. Um, His partner, Danny, died after a very long battle with cancer. And he said, she was the love of my life and an incredible mother to our daughter, Myla. Her beautiful spirit lives on in her. Go well, my love. I'll see you on the other side. And this is the whole thing. I mean, with Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth dying and the people just passing away it's actually sad and then also found out this week Dennis East also an old time musician here in South Africa he played with like a a multitude of different bands he had a stroke a few days ago and unfortunately he died from that as well so to all of the people and the families of both Danny and Dennis East our condolences and to the people left behind really we know how bad it is we went we went Dwell on it too much, though. Okay. All right. So, local, let's go into some good news. Now, this might be something because, I mean, what were you saying that you are a helicopter flying vegan MBA? No. <laughs> well, I think um, it's a standard joke amongst our friends that if somebody in the party is a vegan helicopter pilot or, or an MBA candidate, then they will always know, you will they all know about you. it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So. Anyway, so, I mean, you know, hopefully you're into this business side of things because um, heaps of investment has been announced today in Cape Town CBD. Okay. Um, despite tough times with COVID, um, there's been 5.7 billion rand invested. 18 new developments came on stream in 2021. Five of the 13 completed property investments are either hotels or apart hotels, which have already opened. So, I mean, you know, we, we always talk about Cape Town. Actually, we should be looking to the way that they're doing things down there, although there's still so many people, detractors and naysayers, and say, oh, just because the DA think they're good, they can do this. You know what? They're actually doing a good thing. The rest of the country should follow suit. The, the apart hotel, the Rockefeller, which cost 500 million. Good Lord. That's a lot of schools. Isn't that how much was stolen? At the beginning of the um, COVID by the government, something like that, wasn't it? 500 million, yeah. Half a billion that was given by the, the millionaires and stuff. I don't know. As I said, I don't follow news. I just remember hearing something about that. Hotel Sky, 400 million rand. Apart Hotel Black Brick Cape Town, 107 million. Um, the Capital 15 on Orange is only 20 million. And the Old Bank Hotel, they haven't confirmed yeah, the value of that yet. But I mean, that's they're obviously expecting bumper kind of crops of tourists coming yeah. in. Not a bad thing. I'm seeing a lot of building happening around Joburg, and I'd love to know what, why, what that investment is. I don't know. I'm just there's a lot of building happening, and it'd be interesting to know what kind of investment numbers are going into into the space. But didn't they say when the when the country's in recession, that's when you will always see people building buildings? I remember that from years ago. And I mean, in fact, there's so many buildings that are standing empty. I can't understand why people are building more buildings. There's nothing filling them. 
And I think that everybody should go working remotely. And I think they should turn off all the lights in the buildings at night because they're wasting electricity. Okay. <laughs> Don't you agree, though? <laughs> I do find it um, unfathomable that there are buildings that are standing empty and their lights on. I see it all the time. Yeah. Um, people are not working there. It should be dark. Absolutely. Turn yeah. the lights off. Just not in your own brain. This is not a message to ESCOM. I'm just clarifying that. Oh, no. This is very much a message to everybody <laughs> okay. and electricity and ESCOM. And come and this is enough now. We're, oh, by the way, we didn't mention, of course, I'm sure the rest of the world knows we're back in stage four. It goes from stage four to stage three to two. Oh, and then even ESCOM's push can't keep it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like, okay, um, in, within a five-minute period. Oh, stage four. Oh, two. Oh, four. Oh. Anyway, so thank goodness for ESCOM's push, though. Okay. Eshkom, I call it Eshkom. Eshkom. Um Then I did mention last week Marcus Wyatt, um, who's a jazz musician here in South Africa. He was over in England doing a whole thing with a Philharmonic and a couple okay. of other South African musicians. That's and then exciting. this week, um, four talented SA musicians joined the G20 World Orchestra World Premier in Indonesia. Isn't that cool? Very cool. Yeah. I love hearing that South Africans are into literally everything, into everything. all over the world. All exactly. over the world. We've yeah. got to take over the world one one person at a time. Um, but then one thing I've always wondered, because one thing I've always thought is a course that they should teach in every single school, okay, is how to grow your own food. I think children, I mean, you have kids now coming in, oh, I don't want to touch that. It's dirty because they don't know how to play in, in the dirt. Whereas yeah. We grew up playing in mud. And I've always said to, especially primary schools, you need to get kids to learn how this happens, where they food comes from do you do that at school it happens in fits and starts yes okay. so the interesting thing is is the hidden curriculum here is grit and patience because carrots don't instantly grow mm. they have various vegetable patches at various times and it's interesting watching them learn what grows in sun and what grows in shade and things like that but every now and again, there's a crop of vegetables or tomatoes, you know, carrots or tomatoes or some spindly lettuce that ends up on a plate on my desk. So we've grown this. You're more than welcome to take it home and add it to your salad. Um, it's not just the, the growing and getting the, you know, into the dirt and things like that. It's also learning to use a screwdriver and uh, a hammer and knowing how to use that properly and what hammer is used for what. So, mm. you know, in our technology and things like that, we make a space for the kids to do it. And the kids really love it, boys and girls, getting involved and actually learning how to do that. You know, the, the LO teacher for grade four, five, and six is making sure they're all learning how to change a car tire and, you know, where yeah, to put the water. Yeah, to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. but um, very much that experiential learning is, is very much part of it. And we're very lucky to have the flexibility as a private school to incorporate that um, on whim of the students if they're interested in things like that. Well, if they're, if, if they're interested in finding out more, there's two women in Chwani who have turned a rubbish dump into a thriving vegetable garden. So you could always take your kids out there to go and have a chat with them and see what they're doing. That is a fantastic idea. Yeah. Of course, all of these stories you can find on sapeople.com and on Facebook. And I just think, you know, when it's got anything to do with growing food, I'm kind of like, I'm on board, man. Yeah. I just want everybody to grow, the, the, learn how to grow their own food. That's the most important thing. So the cynic in me asks one question. Yeah. Organic? How organic can it be on a rubbish dump? How much are the plants taking up, you know, into them from the, you know, the rubbish dump, or has it been denurtured to the point that it's still it's safe? Gosh, to be you're going to have to go out there and find out yourself. Fair enough. Because anything that grows is organic, and plants <laughs> don't take up stuff into them that is really bad for them. By the way, fair enough. Because plants fair are enough. much more clever than people, didn't you know? Well, yeah, I look <laughs> Except at... Except they don't get an MBA and you can't go and tell everybody about yeah, it if they don't, and, you know. And helicopter pilot licenses, <laughs> exactly, yeah. I always give people helicopter pilot licenses when they're being silly. All right, so I'm assuming that because you are actually kind of like, you know, t watching things online a lot, not a lot, but do you watch television? We watch 
images on a TV, but we don't subscribe to DSTV. You know, we, we from the word go, we've always been streamers. Yeah. Um, so you don't have Showmax? We do have Showmax. So you have Showmax? I do. Okay, so there's a, a new show that's coming up called Stain. Stain. Skein. Skein. As in shine. Oh, Skein. Gotcha. Skein. Skein, yeah. And it's available in South Africa and abroad on Showmax International. It's in Afrikaans. Okay. Who good is your Afrikaans? No, it's not to slag me. It's got English subtitles in case you get confused. Um, but I usually find that I'd rather like always listen to things in the original language because I was trying to watch this, which turned out to be quite a wonderful show, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, Ludic with Arnold Fosley. Okay. And I was watching the dubbed version and I was hating it until I started watching it in the original language. So try and always watch an original language. The dubbed versions are usually like... Yeah. yeah. The, teacher, the teacher in me is auditing what they're saying in the subtitles. Yeah. I know they got that wrong. That, that's not in the spirit of it. But speaking of Ludic, it's on my radar. I've put it on my watch list. Watch it, it looks quite exciting. Don't watch the dubbed version. Okay. Watch original I'll language in Afrikaans and, yeah, okay. and Zulu. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, this is about a woman called Martha who's a single waitress who does not know what she wants to do with her life. Sounds like my most of us. Uh, the universe wants her to be pregnant. <laughs> Why the does the universe want to be, to be her pregnant? pregnant? Okay. okay. Um, and Martha enjoys the process of changing her life completely. Okay. okay. Well, that sounds uh, some, like maybe Skane. I want to know what the universe is doing. Skein. Yeah. yeah. Shine. Go out and shine. Okay. And then, of course, Carte Blanche this week is featuring South Africa's kidfluencers who are earning more than their parents. Do you have any of those at your school? What do you think about this whole influencer thing for kids? Yeah, I think that I think that we can learn from kids. Mm. I think I have a, a major issue with you know the Kardashian style of influencing. I think it, there's a certain level of toxicity in there that's quite false, and it takes away from the reality that is what we what we're living in. Mm. I do believe that there are some kids who have something to say. I'm I'm in a fortunate position to see some kids who have EQs that are better developed than their parents and have a better understanding of how to manage relationships and things like that. I think it's context-based. So I'm sure there are things that kids will know that we don't know as adults and can influence mm. influences in that space. I'm certainly when I'm playing computer games, I'm not looking at the other 47-year-olds and what they have to say. I'm looking at the teens who are really engaged in it and what they have to say about it because they've worked out all the hacks and the fastest ways to get what we need to get. So... Definitely. You can and take I, a cue from some of the kids, but I just said uh, this whole influencer thing for me as well is just like, eh. what, are we, what are you actually offering? What are you really offering to people? I think anybody who's being a social influencer, and I think that's part of what, you know, part of the hidden curriculum in, in teaching is to teach critical thinking. And I think we need to look at it, critically evaluate it. If it influences us and has, mm. you know, something to, to say, take out what you need to take out and the rest of it accept it as it is. If it doesn't affect you, then... It doesn't affect you. Hmm. Staying with teachers, though, I, there was a story that I kind of like flitted over, you know, because I don't really read in depth on news stuff, obviously, about a teacher who is defending his stance on refusing to call gender fluid people by their preferred pronouns, but in fact by their actual like him and her, or you, she, he. It that is a very. Did you see the story? I haven't seen the story, mm. but it's certainly conversations that that are happening in our space as well. Mm. And the conversation that we're having is, I feel, and I'm, I'm putting myself on the, you're putting me on the spot here, and at, at the risk of, um, you know, some bash, backlash, I think that when we choose to call somebody by a pronoun, by a different name, we do it because 
we do it out of respect to them. Mm. Generally, when you don't know somebody, you, you, what you see is what you get, and you basically call them a him or a her um, until you get to know them and establish a connection. And then once you establish that connection, it's a lot easier to say, oh, right, you identify as something else. That's fine. I can, you know, I respect you and I respect mm. the space you're in. And then we do so. The issue that I have is the expectation that as a stranger that I need to conform to your reality is a little bit of a challenge to yeah. me. And yeah, I like to live my life based on relationships and connections with people, and I'm quite happy to to honour them and respect them as you know how they would like to. Here's be. this thing again: the grace, the, the yeah, respect thing exactly. is coming up again, and that's what we, I think most people and I find that a lot of young people don't have any respect, and, and that's think, what drives me. Mad. I think the, the leading the leading part of that story might very well be the expectation that people have of you to conform to their reality. Yeah. There's no expectation. I see my reality as it is. And yeah. um, I think that's where the grace is and the kindness that comes in and the respect and tolerance and acceptance. But I certainly would probably take umbrage to somebody who forced that down my throat um, on a first meeting and go, geez, okay. So How old you are your know, children? I don't have kids. I look after everyone <laughs> okay, else's. That explains a lot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My children are 19. Okay, you don't get to have that. They're trying to force it down my throat. Yeah. But then as I turned around one day and I sort of put them, put the plug in for them, I turned around and said, I identify as a millennial. <laughs> Nobody can tell me otherwise. Yeah. That's how it goes. Anyway, so there we are. How to deal with kids and how not to deal with kids. And are we allowed to call them kids still? Or do they have to be young people or children? Or I'm sorry, they're always going to be kids to me because I was a kid. I got called a lot worse. Look, I'm a headmaster. I'm used to having teenagers not liking me, having yeah. an opinion that's different to me and trying to and try me, trying to sell me their own agenda. So it's part of my life. <laughs> I'm <laughs> no, pretty I've resilient. Got, <laughs> I've just got to the stage where I don't actually care. So there we go. Yeah. I don't care. I'm a grumpy old woman and I'm allowed to continue to be so. Anyway, but next week, Jenny and I will be back on again, so please don't uh, miss out. Coming up on sapeople.com this coming week, the talented blogger in the UK, Andrea Zanin, is launching SA People on SA People. Um, maybe, it's a, it? maybe it's a blog, SA People blog on SA People website. Yes, about SA people in the UK. Okay, cool. Maybe. Let's see what it happens. I'm going to have to go and check out the website and check it out. A place where expats, of course, can share their stories, memories of South Africa and what they're up to now. So if you are one of those people and you've got something good going down or if you know of something here in South Africa that you think would be worthwhile for people overseas to make their heart drink a pint, okay, then send it on to sapeople.com. We'll catch you again next week. Take care. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.